Move Against Cancer podcast. We are your hosts, Gemma Hillier Moses, Move Charity founder, lover of all things running, travel, and tea. And I'm Lucy Gossage, oncologist, outdoor adventure lover, and 5K UA co founder. I'm Georgie Freeman, lover of exploring new places and the 5K UA manager. The reason we originally set up this podcast was to inspire and support and empower people to move and live an active and fulfilling life despite a cancer diagnosis. In this podcast, we want to share the stories of ordinary people doing incredible things as they find their own way to move against cancer. Going through cancer treatment can feel incredibly isolating and lonely. There's so much behind every individual cancer journey and so much of it is unseen and often unspoken. We want to explore the ways our guests navigate their way through the unimaginable. And we hope that by doing this, we can provide you with some tips, some tools and some inspiration to make your journey that little bit easier. We'll cover every aspect of living with and after cancer, from physical and psychological well-being, identity, goal setting, mindset, staying active, grief and loss, family and friends, and so much more. We will make you laugh, but we also may make you cry. But we guarantee that you'll take something away from every single episode. So we do really hope that you enjoy listening. Welcome to episode three of the Move Against Cancer podcast. It's Gemma here. How are we in March 2022 already? I'm sat here with a fresh cup of tea ready to start our next episode. So today I'm talking to the awesome Leeds-based 800-metre elite athlete, Andy McCaslin, who last August was diagnosed with stage 4 follicular lymphoma, which is an incurable blood cancer at the age of 25. After watching the YouTube series that Andy created, Cancer and the Comeback, I could relate so much to what Andy was talking about and I was really looking forward to chatting more. As many 25-year-olds diagnosed with cancer... Andy never imagined he would be in the situation in his mid-twenties. He was an elite 800-metre track athlete based in Leeds with the aim of becoming the best athlete he could be. But suddenly his life was turned upside down and he found himself fighting this awful disease. Receiving this news came as a massive shock to him and his family. However, he managed to remain positive and was ready to tackle what was thrown at him during the process. And once again, the running community, especially the Leeds crew, has been amazing in showing their support to Andy and his partner, Leah, through this incredibly challenging time. I'm really looking forward to interviewing Andy, and I hope that this shows the reality of being diagnosed with cancer, but the hope and inspiration that running and and its meaning can bring to people's lives in the most difficult time. So let's get talking to Andy, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Move Against Cancer podcast, Andy. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? I'm I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, it's fantastic to have you on our podcast, and I know that um, a lot of you. We're going to go into your story today, and all about all about you and your journey with cancer. Um, and I know a lot of people will have seen your YouTube videos and and your Instagram. Like you've a lot's been shared on Athletics Weekly um, with your journey with cancer. But what we're going to start with, um, both you and I have just asked you before we, we started on the podcast about any of the podcasts that you listen to. And we both um, listen to the High Performance podcast. And they often start with, what does high performance mean to you? So this is the first time I've actually asked this on a podcast <laughs> that we've done. Um, but I wanted to ask, so what does moving against cancer mean to you? So for me, it's a way to not let cancer 
define your life going forwards and is something you can do during treatment outside of medicine really fight back against it and give yourself the best chance make yourself as healthy as possible and do what you can to put yourself in the best position to get through it as as well as you can and be in, in a good place on the other side as well yeah great and that's um that's the first person to ever answer that question on our podcast so hopefully the first of many to come and so i feel like i did put you on the spot with that question um so let's talk about cancer and the comeback because that's the title of your youtube channel and um, that you've launched and we're going to talk a little bit about that later but take us back to the start and i think it's really important for people to be aware of you know when you first get diagnosed with cancer especially at such a young age of 25 and actually what you learned maybe some of the signs and symptoms and just, you know, going back to being a fit and healthy athlete and a runner and actually then, you know, being diagnosed with cancer when you least expect it. Yeah. So I actually came to running quite late and already had some sort of illness issues with glandular fever quite early on. So I'd already spent time actually trying to recover from all the issues around that. And I was probably about coming towards two years out from that and expecting to really push on from that point. And I was, my training was quite up and down for a while. So there would be times where I'd feel quite fatigued and I would see dips, but, and then times it would be going really well. But then it was sort of early on in the year, like January last year, where I started to get a lot of discomfort in my, my bowel area. And I was noticing that I was, particularly fatigued and training and like things really weren't going the way you'd expect with just consistent training not really any injuries and stuff like that and it sort of spiraled from there as time went on and I went to see doctors and they said I had probably had IBS they found some iron deficiency and my hemoglobin was low so there was a few things where they just thought you know you might have trained too hard so your iron's gone down and sometimes you can see low hemoglobin, apparently. Um, there was a, a medical reason for that, but it was a lot of just like, it's probably IBS. I even saw a doctor and he said, you're too young to have cancer, but it won't wow. be that. So, um, but I, I really felt that there was something wrong because when you're training so hard and um, I should have been in like the best shape I'd been in since starting running really because I'd run like PBs the year before and was just carrying on training so really it should have been going really well versus it just started going downhill and you know when you train that much you just know when something's not right and for me it wasn't just like a one percent difference it was becoming huge where I'd try and just do a session so say I was like the first 200 meters into a rep and my body was just like shutting down. It just was like trying to stop me. I was like, I get to 200 and I just had no strength. Wow. And, and what just, distance, what distances were you training for at the time? So um, I'm an 800 meter runner. So um, just that really, because um, that's like my specific um, sort of, what's the word? Like, um, I'm, I'm not as good at the longer distances and I'm not quite quick enough for the sprints. So like, that it's one's the, for me. It's the most brutal event as well, the 800 meters. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, I, I I do think so. It's it's horrible, but it's I absolutely love it. And yeah, so it's a lot of varied training from having to do like speed and then like lactic work and then endurance work as well. So there's, there was just a lot of indicators that weren't right. I'd do like some easy runs and I'd be really struggling to hit an easy pace. Like what normally would be easy would feel really tough. And there was just a long process of having this bowel discomfort. Like during the night, I, it was just pulsating and when in training, like, I found it really hard to like engage like my core muscles. So and at, the, at the time, was there any, did you talk to anyone about that or were people like, oh, well, the doctors have said this. So just, you know, they must be right. And did, you know, did friends and family say, oh, actually, maybe, you know, or did you think, oh, I should actually get further checks on this or? I think, yeah, there was like the odd sort of suggestion from people around me that maybe needed more answers especially if I was feeling that it was more than IBS because I'd never had these issues in the past and it was mm. just suddenly started to get worse um I had mentioned like the the bowel stuff and it's and like not being able to like engage the core I feel like something was like blocking it and I think my my girl girlfriend Leah who's also a runner um does 800 meters as well she was she told me later down the line that she'd been texting my mum saying I think there's something wrong with him <laughs> really yeah, I didn't realize I actually watched your YouTube episode people need to do this and I did laugh because it's a serious kind of topic but she did yeah. say about the passing gas and that oh, yeah. actually yeah. you might not do that anymore and it did like do you know I was like oh that's brilliant <laughs> that is, there's some weird symptoms like another one's like I get like a really itchy nipple on one side but just one side like it's really strange and yeah, that was an issue at the time. But I was getting symptoms like, which turn out to be quite typical now, was the fatigue, there was night sweats. So mm. during the night, like I'd be absolutely drenched and the pet sheets were just soaked and it just, it, a lot of it just didn't feel right. It felt like not just the discomfort, but there was so much around that. So but it turns out that it's quite a hard thing to diagnose because they thought that I'd had it for three to four years um, or around about that amount of time, but it just been slowly growing. But it's a lot of people find out apparently quite late on. So I was stage four and mm. part of the the sort of checks I had before because they thought, they thought IBS and I said, I, I really want more confirmation just to rule things out. So I had to have a, a colonoscopy, um, unfortunately, which was an experience, but- um, <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> yeah, I've actually got a another one. So I've got my like end of treatment CT scan and a colonoscopy again this week. Um, just to oh, like- Good luck with that. Things off. Um, I'll be getting sedated for this one because I wasn't for the last one. It was not- Did they try and give you some gas and air and then it doesn't work? <laughs> Yeah, I think they had to tell me to um, slow down on the on the gas and air because I was I was going mad on it. But um, yeah, so I've, got, I've got those. But um, yeah, they actually found. I thought I was had like early stage of like bowel cancer initially because they found lots of little lumps in my bowel from the colonoscopy. Wow! And that was sort of the start of because I had a CT scan booked as well, and that was the start of something's not right. 
Um, and then as time went on, I actually also developed like a big lump under my chin. So that was the most sort of outwardly visual sign that, you know, it was quite a, a hard lump. Like my mum's a doctor and I was like asking her, I was like, is, is this normal? And she was thinking like, is it like a cyst or something like that? And she was trying to ask me like, is it like a hard one? It was, it's so hard when you're trying to work it out yourself, but um, I, yeah, I, that turned out to be the lymphoma. Basically. I think on that point as well, it's easy to look back because from my own experience of having cancer, I was very similar with side effects and um, those signs that I didn't notice. And it's really easy to, for somebody to listen to this being like, how do you not notice those signs? But it is really difficult because I remember when I was going through, um, I first had the signs that something was wrong and I didn't notice them at all. So I had night sweats and I didn't, I just thought it was quite hot because mine was during the summer. I didn't really think about it. And then I had all these, I had tumours in my stomach that were like 13 centimetres by the time I got to the diagnosis. But actually, I just thought that was, a. I had a dodgy Nando's when I was in London. And I had that going on for about four weeks. I just thought it was a dodgy Nando's. But when you look back, you're like, how can you have Nando's cause that much discomfort yeah. for that long? And um, yeah, there was lots of those small signs. And people from the outside can be like, well, you'd notice them. But I don't think you do. And for me as well, at the age of 24, 25, cancer would never, the thought of something being cancer, like I didn't really, I don't know whether you were some, I didn't, back then I didn't know what it was really. Like I hadn't had any family experience of cancer. I just thought it was for older people. Whereas now I'm completely like, I feel like a doctor in cancer <laughs> when you feel like you've been through it yourself, you know too much about it. Yeah. I don't know whether you were quite similar. It was like, well, why would I think it's something life-threatening? Because yeah. you know, yeah. people our age don't get it. In a weird sort of way, on top of that, as an athlete, I don't know if it's like a sort of, because you're so fit, you think there's absolutely no way that I could have any sort of big illness like that. It's like, yeah. a, like a complacency in that sense. And because you can do these things in training, you think, well, I'm so far away from even having anything like that. Um, yeah. I, I was um, slim, I was going to say, it was similar in the sense of like, the night sweats and stuff because I'd had glandular fever that was something that I got with that so I'd sometimes get them every now and again and I just would think oh it's just that's something I've had since glandular fever so I've had that for ages and I've been fine so it's not an issue um but yeah I, I was the same where it's just you you don't imagine that anything like that's ever gonna happen to you especially that age you think yeah maybe when I'm older but just it just feels it, it still in my head feels wrong that this has happened it just doesn't make sense to me but yeah yeah and I think yeah it's and it's really difficult because if you ask your doctors and consultants why they can't actually tell you why you've ended up with a cancer diagnosis and that's the difficult thing so there's no way sometimes you can't process it can you because nobody can tell you why it's happened which you think scientifically logically they would be able to tell you the process and yeah. you know why you get a disease but actually they can't and that's yeah exactly and that's the hardest thing to get your head around and that's where the mental side of a cancer diagnosis and going through treatment and it's so difficult um it, like at any age I think and that's where yeah it's um it's really important to have the right support but I think it's really important to have conversations like this because even if you could help one other person, it's like we can't change 
what's happened right now. You have to yeah. look at where we are now and what's next. But if you can help somebody else by them listening to this and being aware, I think that's really powerful. Some um, Something someone said to me really helped me. Um, they said, you can't choose the cards you're dealt, but you can decide how to play them. Yeah, that's exactly what my husband said to me on the day I was diagnosed. <laughs> he was my boyfriend at the time. So, yeah. I think it's such a great way to put it. And it took me into thinking about, like, there's always someone else worse off than you. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in. If you can actually get your head around the fact that you're probably not in the worst situation, you can sort of feel lucky in a sense. Yeah. That, like, maybe you've had this versus something else or you can go really far with it in terms of I, I started thinking about like kids in Africa thinking what people have to deal with in that situation and I, I think I, I did a lot of thinking so it was like trying to get myself into a place of perspective and thinking still lucky in some senses yeah and I think it that and that's really difficult because you go through peaks and troughs with that and you, you know you'll still probably go through that in six months to a year's time and it's like you never have the full answer of I'm okay with this I think but you learn to cope and deal with it but I I remember that exact same statement being said to me by Lewis my husband now and and I kind of explained to people if you sit here and just try really really hard you can't change the past like as if you want to try as hard as you can you can't change what happened yesterday so the only thing you can literally control is now and then you know well not even the future just now and the next yeah. steps tomorrow that's all you can do and you know you I guess you have choices and choices how you approach things and like, we'll talk about it a little bit later but I, I feel like sport teaches you incredible tools to help you deal with times like this that make it a little bit easier to process because from running you have a, a process of training, racing, mentality and that resilience I think is really transferable into when dealing with really difficult times. Yeah, I think it teaches you because there's so much failure involved in in training it teaches you to deal with something not going well and having to switch your mindset switch your mindset up towards what do I need to do to make it better or how do I react to this yeah and I and I always talk about I always think about being an athlete I know we're going a bit off a script of tangent here but being an athlete like unless you're you know a Mo Farah on a world-class potential and you're funded most of us put in so much hard work for athletics and really get very little out of it, but absolutely love it. And I think that that's where that resilience comes from because that graph, like even you, when you talk about going Tuesday night sessions and putting in, like working through that lactic and going in the gym and it's like, we get satisfaction and we, you know, you might win races or, but actually like not many of us become Olympic champions, but we just put in all that effort and absolutely yeah. love it. And I think those, those are the skills that you need when facing things like this. 100%. I think that's really helped in terms of, I think before this, I already had that sort of mindset of there's not much you can do at the, about the past. So you just need to keep making the best decisions with the information you've got at the present and not dwelling on the past and I think that has helped me a lot throughout but I have also had those those times where you just think why has this happened to me at this time and it's yeah. just a really difficult thing to get your head around and like you say be okay with it's hard to fully be okay with it 
yeah yeah and that's that's like you say really normal for you to have those feelings so let's I'm going to talk about coping strategies because I think that's really important but let's talk about um follicular lymphoma because I know it's a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and I know that when you first diagnosed I saw on your Instagram there was a lot about raising awareness to support the funding of drugs um to basically you know um help with with the type of cancer um what what is it and how what is your diagnosis because I think that's really important for people to understand so follicular lymphoma is a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um which is a blood cancer and it's a it's a slow growing one but it is incurable so um even if so I'm in remission because I had like a mid-treatment scan that was clear I mean my scan this week will hopefully confirm that again at the end of treatment but even if you get into remission it's incurable so it it does come back it just really varies of when that is and there's a whole host of things beyond that where it can transform into other things um also people tend to have to go through a number of different treatments um over their lifetime and it varies i think survival rates and stuff like that it's, it's quite tricky because on if you google this i'd had no idea about it before and i googled it and it said like 50 percent survival rate in five years they say never google yeah and i was, I was yeah. absolutely terrified because yeah. i thought i've got five years then and yeah. it was but it's that isn't the full story like you it is treatable but the tricky thing is that it comes back so the follicular lymphoma foundation are sort of on a mission to find a cure for it and from what the science says at the moment and where things are at it's closer than you might think through things like car t self therapy i think it's called um so they're basically just trying to push for more funding to get towards that cure because there's like a range of different treatments you can have for this um of like varying um toxicity um but and there's lots of yeah there's lots of different options but it's it it does come back so it's difficult in that sense where you can sort of get rid of it and then it starts growing again and but you just don't know when that's going to be so there's a lot of uncertainty around that yeah because how how does that make you feel because I can imagine a lot of people when you put so when you tell people oh, I'm in remission, they just and this is the same for anybody who finishes treatment. They think, oh, well, you're just, you know, you're well now. You're going to be better. And that's it. And actually, that's not your reality. No. Yes. Yeah, so it's like I think I think someone said to me, oh, I think doctors have to say that about you coming back. Like doctors need to say that to cover their backs to anyone. But I was like, it's not like isn't quite the same because it's this is known that it will come back. It, like it's sort of dormant, I think they were described as so it's I find this a lot where people because they don't know the exact details they sort of make assumptions about the situation yeah because they're not really like in the in the depths of it so it's it's hard because you don't want to just like put everyone right and explain um no this is it's actually like this but it's difficult to feel like people fully understand the situation in that sense and it's like I, I'm in remission but you still because of the nature of this at the back of your mind you're just thinking any little thing you feel yeah. I, I'm already doubting even now am I, am I still in remission and I've only just finished treatment so it's already 
I'm already starting to try and deal with those sort of things. And because of the treatment as well, my immune system is always going to be compromised. And I think people think you finish treatment, you recover, you'll be fine, just back to normal. But there's so many different sort of things around that that make that not the case. Um, Yeah, and I think it's that, you know, a lot of people we speak to are like saying, you know, it's not anybody's fault that they're saying that. I think this is why it's important to have these conversations so that you don't have to have them with 20 different people. They can listen to this and understand, you know, how it actually works and how it feels. But I think people see, oh, you look well, so you can't be, you know, going through cancer treatment or you can't, you know, you must be fine. And actually, you might look well on the outside, but the physical and mental scars of what you're going through just stay for a long time. And and like you say, I think the thing as well, there's a, I think from our community, there's a lot of people that we see that are living with cancer. And that's pretty much what, you know, your reality is. It's like, yes, it's, you know, it's in remission, but actually there's a lot of anxiety potentially around scans and a lot of worry because you have to be monitored quite closely, don't you? And and yeah. that's something you've got to learn to cope with, which at your, you know, at any age, but especially a young age at 26, is not easy, is it? No, I've actually had that quite a lot in terms of people sort of have said when they've seen me, like it's just been outdoors, but they've said, oh, you look, you look well. And like, that's obviously great to hear, but you're yeah. like, that's the tricky thing where people wouldn't even imagine like this has been the situation. Um but yeah, it's like a lot of question marks and I, I actually, I need to confirm this, but I don't actually think I get scanned very often from now on. I think it's very much a, what do you feel? So there's also those questions about, am I feeling things like, do I need to get this checked? And I think they only scan you if there's like a very apparent reason to. Um, because I think with this one as well, people, they might find um blick lymphoma like a, a growth or something like that but if they scan them and there's not much in their body they'll just go and watch and wait so they'll there's people that could be like you say living with a physical cancer in their body for quite some time and not know how quickly it's going to grow or if it's going to transform into something else so it's it, i think it's quite a tricky one mentally to to deal with um and I was going to ask you about about yours. What's what's like that sort of? What's the thing with yours? Is it cured or is it the same sort of story in that sense? Yeah. So um, mine was a. It's technically I'm you know I'm all clear. So um, different in that sense that it's not. Um, I don't have to. I'm not living with cancer anymore. Um, there's obviously the risk of reoccurrence or having another type of cancer because of the aggressive chemotherapy I went through so um Mm. mine was Burkitt's lymphoma which is a non-Hodgkin so similar um there's obviously 20 I think or 30 different types of non-Hodgkin's no hopefully oncologists do not oh Mm. no hematologists actually not oncologists don't quote me on that one um there's a lot of different types of non-Hodgkin's um but blood um cancer and mine was extremely aggressive so actually mine went from I presented with the signs, but then I had a huge lump, which got misdiagnosed as a cyst on my neck. And then they actually found tumors in my abdomen bowel. And then that progressed quite quickly. So if I, if I was left a month longer without getting rushed into hospital, I wouldn't be here today. Basically it just spread so quickly. 
Um, but my treatment was ridiculously aggressive. So again, it had to be successful, the treatment in order for me, because I could not respond. Um, but being fit and healthy, they said they were able to attack me with heavy, heavy dose, high toxicity treatment, which then, you know, put me into remission. And then mine would have come back within the first year or so, I think. So, um, yes, yeah. different situation. Um, so like this is why I'm quite interesting because in terms of living with the thought of it coming back, I can see how that's very difficult because there's still, in my head, there's still a lot of scars. So I call it like post-traumatic stress of your of your treatment yeah. because, oh my gosh, you know, people are, or anybody to be exposed to cancer treatment is just so lethal and hard. Like I don't think I've ever experienced any of it thing like it in my life and it's like you were saying like some of the um some of the tests and things like that like I remember getting bone pulled out of my hip while I was awake to do my bone marrow um, biopsy and I was like you can't actually physically surely do that <laughs> and they were like yes we can do that right. I'm still traumatized to this day so yeah I completely understand but also are in a different situation to that yeah 100% it's it's that tricky thing of even when you know that you've got these treatments coming or like a biopsy like that. I only had, I didn't have a bone one. I just had them try and take a bit out of under my collarbone. And that, that was bad enough for me. I, I can't imagine the how bad the bone one is. But um, if you explain it to people, they, you're just like, you can't feel that pain, can you? But I can definitely still <laughs> feel that pain. <laughs> it's like sometimes medical smells like subconsciously I associate with treatment I feel a little bit sick but um yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that will reduce but um it's definitely got better over the last month or so but um I always remember when I go when I went into treatment I look around and everyone's probably about 50 or 60 years plus yeah and I actually find that lots of like people just stare at me yeah thinking like what's what's the story there what's going on like yeah because you're like, not are you not treated uh which hospital are you treated in is it leeds uh, or yeah is it... st james yeah. is in leeds yeah yeah because that's why it depends on where you guess should be treatment but that's why the teenage young adult cancer units but actually this is another this is another problem over the age of 25 you don't get classed as a young adult anymore even though you're very much a young adult and actually you miss out on the wards the teenage cancerous wards that are specifically designed for young people so I think so I was diagnosed at the age of 24 but they weren't built at the time um in Leicester hospital and now they're built there's specific units um whereas I was very similar to you when I was in hospital and for long hospital stays I would be treated on the same wards as a 89 year old um man or woman and, and you know they're lovely don't get me wrong they're lovely people and great to chat to <laughs> sometimes better than young people but it's the reality that you don't want to see that because you probably want a bit more tunnel vision of I just need to focus on me and then that's it really yeah so it can be quite difficult in that sense I didn't realize that that was um a thing actually I didn't realize that over 25 was like the the boundary for that sort of thing because yeah. obviously kids do go through cancer it's just whenever you hear about it I feel like it's always the worst case scenarios 
Yeah. And there's lots of organizations trying to support that gap in between where it's at 25 to 35, 40, because you don't sit as an older, you know, an older adult. You are still younger, but you're not fitting into teenage cancer trusts units, even though they do incredible work. But just because you're 26, it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's really difficult because actually you'd really, yeah, their the wards are really great, but hopefully you're still getting the support and the, that you need. And that's where I want to come on to support because I know that you did that campaign to raise money for Follicular um, Lymphoma Foundation, and they, um, I think it was a company match funded uh, or they mm. match funded. And I, that's when I remember seeing a lot of the posts about your journey. And I know that you have that like, the athletics community can be amazing. And I know that Leeds is even though I'm a Loughborough graduate I could I know how amazing Leeds is and I've got a lot of love for the people there um but what does that support mean to you it's it I find it hard to process because it was just quite overwhelming because I actually set my target at 500 pounds initially and one of the per- people that organized the campaign were laughing because they just kept having to put it up and up. And I've just, I've never really experienced anything like that because it, it sort of just spiraled out of control in a sense. And yeah. people that were getting behind it, never spoken to, didn't know personally, but it just seemed to like maybe touch them in a, in, in a way that they thought, Oh, this is, I need to just support this. And it gave me a lot of motivation and like that was part of the motivation to start trying to document things and want to more motivation to have try and come back and show these people what they've maybe donated towards and sort of give something back in that sense but it was just incredible like, I, I just couldn't believe it like we were amazed that Athletics Weekly were able to help and and then people just offered more and more support on the back of it and so many messages and I think at that point I sort of needed it because I think it was coming towards midway through my treatment and because mine was like six months so it was like every four weeks so it was quite it was like quite a long time to to have treatment so mentally that was quite tough and I was at a point where it was like I sort of needed a boost yeah. and it happened it just felt like it was meant to be because this was like the first big campaign they'd done and I'd just been diagnosed a few months before and it all felt like it just slotted into place and something was meant to be so it was just and it was an incredible experience and like it just is very touching that people like donated like crazy amounts of money like I even one thing that was quite big was I even saw someone donate just like one pound, and to to me that that said that's all this person can give. Yeah. But it sort of meant so much to them that they just wanted to even give that one pound. And that's amazing. It was just, I think it was like one thousand one hundred donations. Wow. Um, it was just incredible. And did that, like we were saying about the coping strategy, did that give you that boost of going, 
I'm there's a lot of chaos in my life at the minute a lot of things that I potentially can't control when you're diagnosed with cancer and you know the treatment is given to you by doctors and and nurses but actually I feel like I'm doing something at that point in time that you could control yeah it and off the back of that starting like the the YouTube and Instagram account it sort of gave me something to focus on and something to channel my energy into and it was like it almost felt felt like these people all supported me so it was as if I had so many people behind me yeah I'd only had so much support from like friends and and family but it was just I don't know it just gave me this extra energy that sort of got me through yeah because it's interesting because people often can say oh well you just need to look after yourself and focus on like you know getting better but a lot of people I talk to you actually do need something else and often you can go through the journey that you've been and be proud of where you are now because of how you cope but actually have something else that you've achieved and experienced so like with your partner Leah who's an amazing athlete in herself it's like actually you've created a really cool YouTube channel that people can learn and you've probably wouldn't have done that before and you've probably shared laughs and things that you may have not had before and their memories that you know are amazing yeah honestly from the because the campaign the fundraising was it was something like incredible that I, I never even imagined it was like I almost wanted to carry on that theme of doing something different and doing something that was sort of unheard of in terms of I want to it's not unheard of but like just something that I would see as that I wouldn't expect from myself so like it gave me the confidence to do things like that like coming on this podcast I would never have done stuff like that in the past like my social media before would be one post every like six months (laughs) like like a birthday one or something like that and I've gone from that to completely out of my comfort zone to to doing all these different things like speaking in front of a camera and all that and it's the the situation has given me more confidence and just think you only live once and it's like just go for it yeah has it given you that because you're obviously quite you know you're right in the the mix of just having treatment and just finishing the first you know well your last um treatment at this point in time does it do you feel like you can sit back and say it's given me a different perspective on life or does it feel too raw to to feel like that just yet it's it's definitely given me a different perspective in terms of need to just do things now rather than put it off and try and play things safe in that sense like you need to take opportunities when you get them and just appreciate what you've got. And I, th- I think one thing that got us through was just trying to appreciate like the little things like a coffee in the morning or just the little things that we enjoy day to day because our, our world was sort of limited to mostly trying to stay indoors or just meeting people outside. So it was quite, our world was quite small, but I know what you mean in terms of I still think I got some way to go in terms of getting over the the rawness of what's happened and with the scans I've got this week I'm still trying to get towards that final appointment with the doctor where hopefully it can just be 
right, you need to go and live your life now. And at that point, I think I'll get towards dealing with everything that's happened. Yeah. Um, like my plans to um, another charity, sorry to mention other charities. Oh, gosh, but... you can mention as many charities as you want. We have a lot of love for charities. <laughs> um, the the charity Maggie's. Um, yeah. I'm yeah. like in the process of, I need to go in this week and speak to them, but I want to try and see the, the in-house like psychologist that they have just to try and talk through things. Because uh, basically my girlfriend, Leah, um, is training to be a sports psychologist so we talk quite a lot and quite open in that sense and she very much promotes that sort of thing so I've become more in tune to to that sort of way so I want to go through that process and even honor some stuff that I'm probably haven't dealt with yet or you know for me I tend to like absorb a lot and then I might have a point where it gets too much and I'll just lose it a little bit or just have like a really bad day. Yeah. Um, but I don't know it's coming. So it's like, for me, that's like a sign that I've probably got stuff that I need to talk about that I'm not, but it's just like a classic thing for a male where we just keep things sort of stored up and don't just communicate as much. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's quite from what you've been through as well. There's a lot to, process and actually sometimes we're it's amazing to be surrounded by friends and family but potentially you need to see somebody who isn't in your close network to really just deep dive into what's going on and, and like you say it's really important to promote that as well because a lot of men don't open up but actually there's also not a lot of support so it's fantastic that you know you're actually using your initiative to go into Maggie's and say actually I want to go on this I want to get this support because I want some help around it and the Mag yeah, the Maggie centers are brilliant as well. You know, we have a lot of people in our community who use them and just go for coffee mornings. I've done fatigue workshops in there for young people and they do exercise sessions, so they're fantastic. Yeah, like we we th found it after I think the second treatment, maybe, and like we were really surprised. Like it was such a nice building and just a really calming place to go. So um, Leah's made use of the like, I think it was like managing stress workshop which has helped her quite a lot and I just think it's important like you say to if you can speak to an impartial person that's outside your network and if you can bring yourself to open up to that person it can be really beneficial so yeah. I'm sort of looking forward to doing that because um, I, I feel like I can do that so it's I, I think it'll help a lot to just take those things off my shoulders and find I feel like when you do that you find out really what you're thinking or or feeling in some ways and new things come up yeah and it also gives you the tools to develop in the future to learn how to cope whereas a lot of people leave it for years and years and then have to deal with the even deeper rooted issues and they can be really hard to get into because actually you've not dealt with it at the time so I think that's really important and I think it would be really cool actually to um to bring Leah on the podcast at one point to have a chat with her because we always talk about um a partner and you know their their experience and it can be extremely difficult as well because I I remember I just listened when I listened to your YouTube it just reminded me of me and Lewis when we were going through it and you know I he wasn't he was just my boyfriend at the time and now he's my husband but 
you have this deep rooted appreciation for each other that I don't think you'd ever have if you hadn't have been through this type of situation I think it goes both ways and like I think the honesty that you have to think the things that you see each other go through especially when you're the one who's dealing with the cancer diagnosis it's bonkers really as a you know as that young age you should never have to go through that but you do but I think it yeah it kind of brings you can't really explain the bond that occurs from it but I don't know whether you feel the same but I kind of got that gist from listening to you both yeah massively because Leah's been absolutely incredible like she's made it as easy as possible for me because she's been like that barrier between the information because she's done so much research she the thing is she found the flick lymphoma foundation and got in touch with athletics weekly she did all those things i've just took credit for it (laughs) that's the right way (laughs) but she like so there's like a facebook group where people talk about their symptoms and get advice rather than having to go to Google, it's a great place for just getting that real information. And she spends her time looking things up on there, like gathering that information and seeing a lot of the bad things as well and shields me from that. So I don't need to put my effort into working these things out. I can just focus on treatment and recovery and just trying to be in the best headspace each day. Yeah. like you say just like there is a special bond because we've been through so much together um and actually on like a a a quite a sad note we'd actually already experienced cancer together in a sense because leah's mum actually passed away from it um over two years two years ago so we'd already been sort of dealing with a bad outcome from cancer and then this came along it was almost like a and even wow. even harder thing to deal with because even like she hadn't even dealt with what she'd been through yet so it was um we've definitely yeah. been through quite a lot and like you say have like a strong bond as a result yeah and you wouldn't like watching the youtube videos and i know it's only a snippet of your life but you wouldn't expect that have to happen to leah and actually like you say there's still grief going on and shows the resilience and her personality, how amazing it is to be able to, you know, go through that and support somebody, but both of you together. Yeah. It takes a strong, strong couple to be able to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think so. Like we try and focus on the positive as much as possible. We don't ignore the negative, but it's for us, it's about identifying that and then just thinking what, what can we do like you say, with the cards that we've been dealt and make the best of the situation. Yeah, it's like Lewis used to say to me, if you sat there and read the side effects of all your treatment, Gemma, you want to jump out the window, so don't bother and just crack on. (laughs) So that's what we used to do. Yeah, Yeah, and I won't repeat some of the remarks used to say when I had no hair and the the jokes that used to come out. If you didn't, he always used to say, if you don't laugh, you'll cry, so you might as well just keep laughing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I don't know, like, Leah sometimes doesn't like it when I make jokes about the situation. Um, but like, I'm, I'm the same. Like, if you can't laugh about it, then you're just going to be, you're just going to cry, aren't you? So yeah, yeah. And there's time for both, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. And actually, because we, I, you know, we could have called this the Valentine's Day episode. We're, we're filming yeah. it <laughs> on Valentine's Day. So we should have, we should have actually brought you both on. Um, but it'd be great. Yeah. To, 
to get Leah and interview her for the podcast because I think a lot of people who are supporting somebody through it or relationships you know would love to hear the other side as well um because you know I I know from listening to my husband Lewis it is different their experience um but hopefully people can take things from that so let's just dive a little bit deeper I just want to I know you're developing some of these coping strategies but I think that um I just want to talk a little bit about them in terms of I don't think anything in your life before can really prepare you for what you're going through now but I know that you know you've talked about mental health you've talked in your um YouTube channel about how journaling has become quite important to you but also running and the goals that you might have like why you're you know what make what you want to get back to so I just wanted you to touch on what you think those coping strategies for you are at the moment but also what maybe you're going to develop in with your running because I think running can be a huge coping strategy um in more ways than one um but yeah I just want to talk talk a little bit about them with you um especially during treatment I think exercise has been massive for me because the first couple of months I actually was really bad with this I did nothing like even when I was diagnosed it was it was sort of quite funny because I was so I was still doing normal stuff before I was diagnosed when I was diagnosed I was just on the sofa and I was like oh Leah I need you to to do this for me I almost like acted more ill than I actually was at that (laughs) stage but um you're allowed to at that point (laughs) it was a shock but um when I was actually going through treatment, I didn't do too much exercise the first couple of months. And I don't think that was good for me mentally. And it was only when I started doing more and started developing those goals and having that structure in your day where it's like, um, you're thinking like, what exercise am I going to do today? Because we were actually told that if you exercise, it'll help the effect that the treatment has in terms of the treatment will work better if you move more. That's amazing that you're told that because a lot of health was that from a healthcare professional. Yeah, so I think yeah. was actually I, I'm not hundred percent. We need sure to get their name <laughs> so yes. we can make contact with them. <laughs> my uh, my consultant's called Rod Johnson. Um, he's been really good in terms of looking at things, like looking at the bigger picture and making decisions based on my age and sort of level of fitness as well, rather than just what's the the normal procedure for things so he's been he's been great and the whole team at St James's has been amazing um I really couldn't thank them enough but in terms of yeah the exercise being told that was like a big motivator so I think if you've got the right sort of things to motivate you like if I exercise I've got more chance of getting rid of this so and the structure in the day when you're like don't have much to do it's just helps a lot mentally and for me, it gave me goals of thinking, okay, I'm going through treatment, but I've now got the goal of seeing how much exercise can I do within reason and what can I build it back up to? Because I wasn't actually in the best place at this point because after I'd started treatment, because because I'd been told I had IBS due to stress, they told me to stop training for like a couple of months and just trying to let my body settle down so I'd already been deconditioned to what I'd normally be doing yeah so I was already in quite a unfit place so it was hard enough trying to exercise after treatment and be so far away from what I was used to and then it was I'd not exercised for a while so it didn't help but once I got back into it 
it just helped me so much and it was it, it was quite eye-opening to realize that you can exercise during treatment you just assume that you think oh I'm having chemo and and all this so I probably shouldn't I should just rest is that the right thing to do but obviously it's not like exercise does so much it keeps your body healthy in so many ways and your mind as well so yeah once I started doing that it gave me even more energy and motivated me so much and then I got onto the point of thinking like more positive thoughts about I'm going to get into remission and then I'm going to come back and it's actually um from people I've spoken to that, that you're friends with your story actually gave me so much motivation because I heard from people saying that you're running better than you even had done before having cancer and I heard about um, a run you tried to do not long after treatment that you were just like apparently it was like it really hit you quite hard but you're just like I'm going to do it and (laughs) all these sorts of things that I'd heard actually motivated me so much I'm like someone else has done it and I sort of took that on as I want to show the same sort of story so people can see that I'm doing this. That might give them the motivation to think relatively of what they're used to, that they can do stuff like that or just do more than they're doing and push the boundaries a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, like you say, I'm glad it provided you with some inspiration. And I think for me, like I did, yeah, I I went on to to run for England after I was diagnosed with cancer a year and a half after I finished treatment and I I didn't run for England before and my times were way faster afterwards and some of it was I always say this to people I stood on the start line thinking I've literally got nothing to lose like I I used to be so nervous on the start line for a race and I just felt so happy to be stood on the start line don't get me wrong over the the years to come the nerves got a bit more when you started to put pressure on yourself but I just remember being so grateful to be able to stand there and I even with training I I remember when I first started back and just doing a run with my mum at like 13 minute miling now 13 minute miling can be amazing so don't get that wrong but when you're you know when your easy run pace has been seven minute miling that's you know my mum was like are you okay Gemma and I was like no I'm breathing out my arse here I'm not okay so yeah I I feel that journey of everything being so hard like I you know I remember when I ran the Great North Run during treatment and ran it in two hours and 23 minutes and that was so hard I remember drinking every bottle of Lucozade or Gatorade that they gave me on the way around and you wouldn't do that as a normal runner um but then five years later I went and run a lot quicker so there is a process to that comeback and often people just see that end bit but actually you know those really tough runs at the very beginning when you are so far away from where you were the body is amazing but the mind is even more powerful I think that's what sometimes people underestimate and sometimes the resilience you build up from going through what you're going through and you still are is you sometimes don't realise how powerful that can be. Yeah, someone actually said to me, um, someone that had leukaemia said, you will realise that you are so much mentally stronger than you were before. So even when you're training, you'll realise that you can push yourself even further. Like, I actually got into a weird place before I found out because I was struggling with training and I was thinking, I was thinking I'd mentally lost it, that I couldn't, 
push my body anymore. But in reality, I was just probably having to work so much harder to try and get anywhere near what I'd normally do. Um, that that was just interesting to look back on. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to sort of seeing what this resilience and mental strength will do for me going forwards. Because like you say, it's there's nothing to lose and there's just like it's just exciting to think what you can gain like my thinking about getting back to where I was before or even trying to run quicker than I did before I just think would be incredible if I could do that it would be amazing I've got like different goals for different time frames initially and I think that's so important to have things to work towards and for anyone else it might be like doing the great north run or something like that and thinking or oh, aim for this time and the next time I'll aim for that time and it's just I, I do see it as a way of overcoming cancer or the the effects it has on you it's beating it in a different way yeah yeah and I think it's it's a case of as well not I think what you learn from maybe a little bit of the mental side of things is not being afraid to fail I think before I had cancer you know, even career-wise, running-wise, there's always that tiny fear of like, oh, this is why I got so nervous about things because, you know, if what happens if, if you fail? Whereas actually, I couldn't care less <laughs> after I had cancer. I was like, because there's worse things that could happen if I don't run a PB or if I don't run this time. And then you end up, you're like, oh, I've just run a bit faster because you're just so relaxed yeah. about it um, and just so, yeah, so grateful. But I think, like you, you say, running people sometimes are like well why do you want to get back so quickly or why do you want to go and put yourself on the track again but sometimes I think because it it's part of your DNA and like you're quite similar to me you were a runner and are a runner and it's actually sometimes the process of structure routine goals like you're you know socializing with your friends as part of running becomes part of your life and then that helps you to challenge both your body and mind which if you keep them both really healthy whatever happens in the future your body's going to be there for you um as much yeah. as it can be because it kind of already has been if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. i think it's it's massive and i always go back to the feeling that you get from running when you're when you're really fit or when you're in really good shape or you have like a really good session and i don't think for me there's not much that can compare to that so I'm always, I'm, I'm sort of like desperate to get back to that as soon as possible. Like I, I went for a run today and it, it, it went well, but like I, my, my, I'm sort of getting through the process of at the moment, my, my heart rate just goes so high. Like my muscles are still fairly strong so I can, I can run, but my, my like lungs and my heart are just struggling. Um, but I got back, had a shower, got changed. And I just was like, I feel great. Like, the feeling yeah. it gives you afterwards and during is just it's amazing that's what I'm just striving to get back to always and I think it's unless people have really got into running they won't realize that no and I always think like in a way running is kind of an analogy for one step at a time one day at a time and that's even if running isn't your thing you're going through treatment it's like actually just take one day at a time one step at a time and that process then builds and don't look too far ahead just focus on where you are now 100% and it gives you a sense of achievement and progression and it's something to to just see improvement in sometimes and like you say the social side like I still go down to the track when I'm not 
training sometimes just to speak to my friends that I'd normally see and have a chat with them. It's normally not about even what I'm going through. It's just chatting about their training and what's going on with them. So it's a nice distraction in a sense from it. Yeah, a bit of normality yeah. as well. Yeah, because like I remember going back to work after I used to work for Nike and I remember going back to work in the office and I had like I had no hair, I had a wig and I remember going out for a run at lunchtime and I took my wig off and put a baseball cap on and I was like, this is beyond normal. <laughs> it's like I am so far away from normal people, like normal life they yeah. could think of and it really settled <laughs> me. And I was like, but actually I needed it because all I'd had was hospitals like being prodded and poked, like very similar to you. And actually that becomes your normality, but you need some stability as well. That's not that so that you can just forget about it for even an hour or so. hundred percent. I completely agree that um, going back to work thing is something for me that I'm quite anxious about. Like, I'm not sure how that's going to feel just going back into such normality in a sense. Um, so I've still got that to come. Um, but yeah, I, I'm like, like you say, I think it'll help loads just getting back into that routine again and taking your mind away from I'm going through something that is not normal. Yeah, absolutely. And and this ties into this. I know you mentioned on your YouTube channel that I've literally listened to every episode. So I feel like oh, I'm a full on stalker. I'm like, <laughs> on your YouTube channel, you mentioned this. Surprised I haven't come onto the Oreo cupcakes just yet. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> but I just wanted to ask, you said about starting journaling, and I think that's quite a, an on-trend, like, current thing that people are starting to do. How has that helped you? Sorry, I'm just swallowing. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's helped me loads in terms of when, I think especially for people that don't want to talk about their feelings as much, I think it's really good to write things down. And I've found when I've done it, I've got one that sort of prompts you for different sort of things. Um, and it actually gives you that minute to have a think about how you're feeling. And as I'm writing, it's I'm coming up with more thoughts that I didn't realise I was having or feeling. So I found it really useful just to almost take a weight off your shoulders each day. Um, don't get me wrong, I'm not amazing at doing it every day and I've still got a way to go with that. But... I've, I've found great benefits of it and it always improves my mood after doing it. And yeah. it gives you a little bit of perspective of whatever you're going through. It's like a sort of, if you took these thoughts out your head and put them on paper, it's sort of like a foundation to build off for the day. And I, I think it massively helps because I think a lot of people just store a lot of thoughts and feelings inside and don't speak about them or let them out at all. So I think it's a, a great sort of platform to take those off your off your shoulders and take things off your mind and sort of clear your head a bit absolutely and who who well what was it that prompted you to start because I know a lot of people like I do a lot of journaling and I find and I've only just done it in the last couple of years and I find it game-changing actually in terms of life business work running um but who actually yeah why did you start doing it um this was very much um because of Leah, she was saying saying that I should start it, and I said, "Oh yeah, I'll 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 get one. I'll I'll get around to it, and just put it off for ages." Yeah. So in the end, she just bought me one, and you can't get out of that. Yeah, it, it did gather dust for for a bit, but um, 
I eventually like gave in and once I started to do it I realized how good it was and like how great it made me feel and it made me feel a lot more like centered after doing it and having a bit more direction of what I wanted to do after I'd done it and was like right I had a bit more direction and I'd say more like productive through the day yeah so would you did you start that did you start that later into your treatment or did you do that at the very beginning? Cause you did, you notice the difference between doing that, not doing it and then doing it before. Yeah. So it, it, it was sort of in a not good, but good way. My first couple of months of treatment, I wouldn't recommend what I did because I didn't do that. Any journal, I didn't do exercise as much and sort of, definitely felt like a little bit sorry for myself or just was very much just kept myself to myself stayed in a lot and then I started to change these habits and like you say saw huge benefit from exercising journaling doing all these different things having like the YouTube and stuff and Instagram to to focus on and like I do a weekly update on my Instagram and it almost is a way of journaling as well yeah and there's times where I look back on my week thinking oh this week's been rubbish like I've not done well not had not really progressed but I write down what I've done that week and start to write a caption about it and then because I'm reflecting on it I look back and think oh it actually has been positive and I can compare to the week before and think oh I've actually made I've made progress and I should probably be proud of what I've done this week and it gives you that perspective and shows where you've come from each week and like what you've managed to do. And sometimes it can literally flip how I'm feeling because I thought I'd had a bad week, but I'd actually done quite well. Yeah. It's, it's amazing remember. how you talk through that. Like... No, go for it. <laughs> so I was just going to say, um, because sometimes I think it's so easy to focus on the, the negative things. Like you remember maybe what's gone wrong more than you remember what's gone well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's a. I think what you've spoke about there will be incredibly useful because I think people talk about journaling and then they just think, oh, it's wishy washy. It's a lot of things that females do, and and actually, it's not. You know, my husband Lewis, he's he actually started it before me, even though I was the one who was like, we all need to journal. And mm. then he was better at keeping the habit than I am. I was like missing days and then watching him do it and be like, oh, I've got to get back at this. Yeah. Um, but he's noticed the huge transformation. And it's like, yeah, like you say, resetting your mind. Um, but then I think the reflection part of it's really good. Um, and a lot of us don't, We, I think, because we're in such a fast moving paced world, you don't reflect back enough. And I think that can then, help you moving forward like I think for you looking being able to look back of what you've been through will only help you in a couple of months time you know even when you're with your running comeback like you'll be able to look back and take a lot of strength from that so we yeah, um yeah absolutely I, I, think, I think we had a delay there for a second <laughs> are you back yeah can, can you hear me yes yeah I think we're back on yeah okay perfect sorry just a slight delay there <laughs> have you got anything you want to add to that Andy uh no sorry I, I think I was gonna say something around um I think it was something Leah said to me the other day that a friend had said to her about I think sometimes when people are so busy 
they don't even have time to think about how they're feeling or their mental health. So it's, they don't really realize what's going on deep down. They're just busy, 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 and they keep adding more to their life. So it's, I think it's a great way to sort of take a step back and like you say, reflect on where you're at and find a bit of, I don't know what the word is, but maybe like a sort of a foundation for that time or like, I can't think of the word to be honest, but just like a, a placeholder and then you'll move on from that point. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I think, oh gosh, I could, yeah, there's been so much we spoke about and I could, we could probably go on for two hours, <laughs> I think. Um, but it's, you know, I've got, I am going to finish with some quick fire questions because I, I love them, but I think it's just amazing like understanding your journey and you being, thank you for being so open and honest about it. But I think that, there's so much people can learn from this and just take whether that, you know, whether they're going for a similar journey to you, they're supporting somebody or just in general day to day life. I think there's a lot you can learn from people who have gone for extremely difficult times. And I think because we've been able to deep dive a little bit more into those tools and coping strategies, I, I, I bit like I guess I'm really interested in the psychological side, I guess a bit like yourself and Leah, because you're yeah. you kind of testing and trialing things and I think that's can be so powerful and we probably don't talk about that enough so thank you for sharing all of that well, you're welcome so again I'm going to finish with some quick fire because I do like that <laughs> I've started off with with a new question and we're going to finish with some quick fire questions um so a little bit some of it do really journey some not but um the first question I was going to ask um for all the Leeds fans and people who live in Leeds what's your favorite cafe in Leeds oh that's really tough um well, so <laughs> quick fire um I'm going to say Woodlawn. Okay, whereabouts is that? That's in Horsforth. Um, it's a little bit out of the typical ones in Headingley. Oh, I'd actually know it's not that one. Could that be a controversial answer for some of the, your Leeds friends that are going to listen to this? <laughs> or it's either that or Bowery for me. Okay, those two. Brill. Yeah. We've got two that we need to visit when we're next in Leeds. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I heard on your YouTube channel that you have got, and that's um, for anybody who wants to listen, that is Cancer and the Comeback. So um, check that out. Yeah. But I heard that you've got a sweet tooth. So what's your go-to cake, cookie or dessert? So anything white chocolate or Oreo for me, and usually cake with some buttercream. So yeah, oh, it's, hard, it's hard to pin one down, but anything white chocolate. I thought you were going to say you've got to say one of Leah's bakings. <laughs> what she bakes? Yeah, the, the Oreo cupcakes are really good. They look the, very they're, good. They're one of my favourites. I was thinking actually how you get the Oreo at the bottom to not melt either. I think that's very impressive. <laughs> I think you just pop it, pop it in the bottom, and it just, <laughs> it just survives. Like <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have a go at that one. <laughs> it's quite good. It's like a nice little crunch at the bottom. Maybe you need a YouTube baking um, kind of follow with you with you both. Bit of Joe Wicks-esque. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did try and film like a, a what, what I eat in the day. Because I know that some people have certain diet things around cancer. And I know there's like, to an extent, do try and take some of those on. But um, try and eat just fairly balanced anyway. But I tried to film one, but our like camera crashed and we'd lost all the footage. So... <laughs> have to redo that. we need a film crew behind you for the next yeah. the next few months <laughs> yeah. okay brilliant um so just a couple more what um quote or piece of advice do you live by might be quite a hard one that one 
Um, everything happens for a reason. Nice. Because for me, it's it solves every every issue, as well as that one I said earlier about the the cards you're dealt. But for me, if I know that everything happens for a reason, I don't need to completely understand why. Yeah. I always imagine if something bad's happened, it's going to lead to something better in the end. Or, you know, I I can't stress too much about affecting what's going to happen. I just have to let it be and make the decision with the information I've got. Love it. Yeah, love that. Okay, so where's your favourite place to train? So in, in Leeds or in general? Anywhere. <laughs> so on that topic, it's... South Africa. Um, it's a place called Pot Chef Stream. Nice. Um, it's it's just the best place to trade in, in the world, I think. It's like slightly altitude and it's just lovely weather. Obviously, coffee shops and food all around, and there's loads of trails, there's a grass track, great facilities, and it's just like the most it's like a university town, so it's like really chilled and there's lots to do and it's just like the greatest place. So I would say there. I think you'd have Laura Waitman green with you on that one, wouldn't you? I think she loves yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> she absolutely loves it. She'd either say that one or Boulder, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've not been to Poch. I've been, only been to Stellenbosch, which is quite similar, yeah. actually. I remember being like, this place is unreal to train. So I'll have to go check Poch out. It's just such a good lifestyle. Um, yeah, I'd recommend. Yes. Especially when we're all needing sunshine at the minute after the wind and rain <laughs> we've yeah, had over the last week. I'm desperate for some sun. <laughs> Crazy winter weather. Hopefully spring will be on its way soon. Okay, so two last questions. Um, we're like going from quick fire to totally not quick fire. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what does running mean to you? Oh, it's a hard one to answer that. It's um, quick fire either. <laughs> it's, it honestly means so much. Like it sort of means the feeling it gives you, and it's just something. It, it's a way to work hard and get results. It's something that if you put effort into, you get benefits on the other side, and gives you things to work towards goals, objectives, and for me, it just gives me so much because. It's the feeling that you get when you're running or when you've worked so hard to get to a point where you come out with a new PB or just the feeling that being able to run fast gives you. Brill. That was a very good answer. <laughs> I put you um, on the spot there. I'm glad you think that. I feel like I'm just rambling. No, no, it's awesome. I love a ramp. Podcasts are about rambling. I always say that yeah. to people. Never worry about it. Yeah, never, no, we, we actually don't edit, unfortunately. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> so other than the bit where we lost internet connection, we leave it as raw as possible because we're like, our conversations are amazing. And, you know, why would we want to edit the full conversation of somebody? So <laughs> it's all getting left in there. <laughs> um, so I'm going to finish with, um, what bit of advice would you give somebody going through a difficult period in their life? Uh, it won't last forever. And there's light at the end of the tunnel but it also depends on the perspective you have of what that light will be. Nice. I love that. I don't think you need to add anything else to that. That's it. <laughs> That's going like... to be my entry for the podcast. <laughs> That came out better than I thought it would, to be honest. Yeah, that's like an Oscar-winning speech, that. 
<laughs> You've nailed that in one. <laughs> and I can tell everyone there was no prep for that. He wasn't looking at any notes or anything. No, I, I wish I, I wish I had some. <laughs> no, that was great. Um, well, yeah, we're done, I think, an hour and 15 minutes later, which is amazing to be able to have the conversations with you, um, Andy. And I just want to say thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. Oh, you're welcome. It's been amazing. Thanks for having me on. I could honestly talk forever, I think. <laughs> I think this may be the start of our kind of journey and more conversations to come around moving against cancer and, you know, the podcast and bringing Leah on and, you know, helping you with the next part of your journey of spreading awareness of what, what you want to go through moving forward as well. So, yeah, thank you for your time. It's been great to chat. Oh, you're welcome. I'd love that. Wow. How do I even begin to debrief that conversation? I think for me personally, it was such an interesting chat and I could relate to so much of what Andy was talking about and going through. I know how important it is for Andy to share his story with the hope to inspire and help others. So make sure you do check out his YouTube series, Cancer and the Comeback, as well as Andy's Instagram page where he'll be documented his journey. He's going to be documenting it about the comeback to elite sport and a lot of it will be focused on how mindset can be half the battle and what he wants to do is encourage people that they can be ambitious and it's important to have a can-do attitude despite the hands that you've been dealt. So we're already planning on asking Leah, um, his, his partner, to be guest on our podcast so we can dive deeper into the reality of supporting a loved one through a cancer diagnosis and how they navigate that journey together, especially in their 20s. Um, so I really hope you enjoyed listening in. Make sure you download and subscribe to the podcast. Keep smiling. Keep being positive and keep being active.